All right, legends. Obviously, this week's episode is going to be a little bit different because this week is a little bit different. Obviously, we had the passing of the late, great Shane Keith Warren. What an absolute legend. And a strong portion of this podcast will be dedicated to the great man, as it should be. So the first 20 minutes or so, you know, roughly, that's going to be standard get around me content. You know, the hot button issues that we tackle each and every week, you know, war, racial divide, politics, we will continue to tackle those issues at pace in the first 20 minutes. Okay, if you want, if you want info on, on real world issues, this is the podcast you come to and everyone knows that. So rest assured that the first 20 minutes uh, will feel like a Sky News update as it always does. Nevertheless, and then I will talk about, you know, some yarns. Then I'm going to talk about the Australia versus Pakistan test match. And then I'm going to talk about Shane Keith Warren, you know, for an unassigned amount of time. You know, I, I dare you to try and have a, a conversation or a segment about some of the best moments of Shane Warren and put a time limit on that segment. I don't think it could be done. That is foolhardy thinking. If you think you can have a conversation about Shane Keith Warren's best features and put a cap on it time-wise, dude, you may as well take a bowl out of your kitchen cupboard and head down to Ballarat and see if you can find some gold in a local creek, okay? Because you're a fool, my friend. You have lost your way. So I don't know how long the Shane Warren thing will go for, but it should be fun. Anyway, so this week's podcast sort of crack in here. Dude, the rain in Sydney, I don't know of the other cities, I don't know if it's really hitting home how fucked New South Wales is right now. Like we have the Northern Rivers, Lismore, they're, they're still just beyond screwed still. Zero government assistance. And now, now I live on the Northern beaches of Sydney, okay? Quite a, quite a well-off area. So we're not, ex- we're not used to hardship. We're not used to struggle, Okay. When adversity comes our way, we throw a checkbook at it, okay? We don't roll up our sleeves. We, we tell someone else to. So I was absolutely blown away. And also on the northern beaches, I would say we're not particularly the, the floodiest place in the nation, you know? We, there's one road that floods every so often and you just don't use that road for a couple of days. And to be honest, not using that road is probably the most difficult thing that would happen to some people in that area. You know, these four-story beach houses, taking a detour is pretty much like losing an arm or a leg to these people. So we're not used to adversity. And this week, and yesterday in particular, I have never seen anything like it. Floods just out, like everywhere was flooded. Suburbs around me were getting evacuated. Manly Dam is overflowing and all the surrounding houses had to be evacuated. My home ground for soccer, where my soccer team plays, there was a guy, you know, where where the halfway line is, where traditionally you would see Billy Darcy playing centre back and if I'm the last man, you know, either pulling the guy's shirt or I've got two, two studs, you know, in the back of his lower spine. And I'll take my red and that's that. Now, yesterday, 
on a soccer field. There was so much flooding and so much water. There was a guy riding a jet ski on the soccer field yesterday. And not just like sort of, yeah, let's just see if this works. Like I'm telling you, like a meter of water and this guy's shredding it up on the jet ski. Mac equipped that if they were to identify that man, he'd be in quite a bit of trouble. I disagree. Where's the precedent? You know, you try and lock this bloke up based on what? I saw a sign that said, uh, you know, dogs have to be kept on leads. What's the jet ski policy around here, brother? Okay, so... It's freaking wild. There was cars floating down the street in my area. And I'm not, I'm, I know on this podcast, oh, Billy Darcy, you know, this guy just says whatever he wants. There were cars floating down the fucking street, dude. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. Full-blown just, streets just became rivers. Okay? Rivers. <laughs> My friend Georgia messaged me. She said, I saw some videos of the Manly River overflowing on TikTok. I said, Georgia, we don't have a river. We're not supposed to have a river, okay? Something has gone extremely wrong. The freaking, the weather, Jesus Christ. This, it's just getting a little bit wild around here. And the thing with Australia is, you know, most countries worth their salt, of which this country definitely is. Most countries sort of maybe pick maybe one or two natural disasters that might affect that area. You know, like Louisiana, that that place had the floods. Uh, you know, some place in the middle of America, that's tornado territory, okay? English people, I mean, I just think their general day-to-day climate is probably a natural disaster, even though it's not like the most shocking thing you'll ever see. I think if you looked on the face of a man who's lived in Birmingham for 45 years and you looked at the face of someone in Lismore who's just lost their home, they look the same, okay? So people in England are miserable and while they don't have, you know, the same shocking excuse the people of Lismore do, make no mistake, the vibe is the same. But Australia, dude, we don't play by any rules here, okay? We've got it all. we got wild bushfires droughts and floods okay most people pick one we say we'll take the lot we're like harry potter when he's just been to gringotts dude give me the lot okay but and these what about imagine you're a farmer in this country one year all your crops burn down the next year they all wash away (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, but it's like, fuck me. Is there a middle ground? Is there any room in the middle for us to have maybe some 27 degree weather and it rains every so often? You know, this country is a land of extremes. Then you go into the middle of this thing, which no one does because it's about 55 degrees and a desert. I mean, this place is not for the faint of heart. A guy in Sydney literally the week before last or last week was just, he was swimming in the bay at Maroubra Beach and just full-blown got eaten to death by a great white shark. And I'm not saying like he got bitten and they rescued him and they were not able to revive him. They found parts of his body around. He got full-blown eaten. Okay? What, this country, I mean, dude, we don't have a neutral gear. It's five or reverse. Pick one. 
It's just wild times here. It's just wild. And it's just, it's all getting a little bit much. But, you know, no stress, no stress. And if you want to talk about a little bit of perspective, at least we're not that guy who dead said got like obliterated by a shark. You know, shark attack and you like, where'd it get you? Oh, I got my leg. You know, oh, this guy lost an arm. This guy doesn't exist anymore, this bloke at Maroubra, okay? Like, his body just got absolutely, okay? I don't want to get too weird about it, but I just feel like there's a lot happening at the moment. So anyway, what else did I want to talk about? Oh, yeah, so a couple of things. Firstly, Avril Lavigne has a new album out. I forgot to cover this the week before last. Great album, okay? Great album. And she's doing it with Travis Barker. So that's what that's what it's all about. Travis Bar if you got Travis Barker on the drums, Travis Barker is so good at playing drums that he gets like credits on the song. Like it's like Avril Lavigne and Travis Barker. You know? When when Nirvana played, it didn't say Nirvana featuring Dave Grohl on the sticks. No one gave a fuck, dude. Okay, like obviously, you know, everyone loves Dave Grohl, but I'm saying this guy gets naming credits on these songs because he produces them and the drums are so wild. So, sick album. But I want to talk about this concept, right? So, Avril Lavigne, love her. Love her to death. Okay? If I could see any concert ever, I would see Avril Lavigne in 2002 after her second album came out or I would see Oasis in 96, I reckon. They'd be the two I would want to see. But what about this? So Avril Lavigne. So this album comes out and it's really good. Like the song's crank. She's got one with Mark Hopus of Blink-182. I Hopus, I'm saying that right. <laughs> oh, dude. Well, that's good to get that out of the way early. That is without a doubt the worst joke I will make on this podcast in 2022. So that's pretty handy. We got it out of the way early. Um, so I apologize for that. And I was thinking about this Avril Lavigne album because I was like, this album is so good, but it doesn't really hit the same. And I was thinking, is it because I'm older or is it because she's older? On one hand, it definitely doesn't hit the same when like, like she's been divorced twice previously and she's like, oh, I always get a crush on the wrong, the wrong boys. And it's like, yes, Avril, you do. You do. This is actually like, it's not as fun, I think. You want to get artists when it's like their time. Like when Avril Lavigne was like 18, singing all this punk shit, I just think it hit a bit better. And also, you know, when I was a, a teenager, I think music hits better. Like music gets into you more when you're in your teens, I think. Even though I was very young when Avril first was, was cranking off. But, but I think just in general, there's something about like music when you're like 15 to 25. That it's just, you know, like Machine Gun Kelly right now. I fucking love this guy. But he's like 31. And, it, and it's like, he's like music. It's not going to fly as much when he's like 41, you know? This guy's talking about fucking smoking weed at the back of his high school classroom. It's like, dude, you got three kids in high school yourself, okay? There's something about that, isn't there? Where it's like, gets in your consciousness more when you're a teenager and also when they're really in it as well you know when they're singing about doing all sorts of wild shit and you're like dude they're doing this stuff but when when they're talking about this and then going home and 
having a chamomile tea and going to bed. I mean, God bless them. I hope they have a long and fruitful life. But it definitely doesn't hit the same, I don't think. But yeah, I feel like with these artists, they just have their moment. And then it's like with Eminem is the perfect example. Eminem with the the beard transplant or whatever he's done there, God bless him. You know, not everyone can just sort of grow a majestic beard like mine, uh, regardless of what some of the more hateful DMs I receive might say. <laughs> and, uh, and Eminem's like 47 now and it's like, and he's sober. You know, when Eminem was like 27 and fucking off the rails, that was it. You know what I mean? Like that was so much cooler. So I think there's definitely something about that, like moments in time and music, you know, you can just, you can have a sick tune, but when there's like, when you, that person is really in it and really, really live in it and so are the fans, because when you go and see, when you go and see Bruce Springsteen and everyone there is 65, it's not because Bruce Springsteen ap- appeals to old people in particular. It's because all those people frothed on Bruce Springsteen 40 years ago and they still do, you know? That's why they're going to see him. They're not going to see Bruce Springsteen because they're like, oh, I just got his last album in 2020. Wow, this thing whoa, came out of nowhere. They're going down there and, and this is like the fifth time they've seen him. And they're, they're saying, play the hits, mate, you know? So I think, yeah, something about music, you've got to get it in you while you're young. Like Avril's album was good, but I was like, fuck, it just doesn't, you know? really good like the songs are good but yeah and and we know like you know we know avril's not going crazy doing drugs dating all sorts she's like 39 so there's something about it that doesn't quite hit the same but still i thought that was interesting i think there's something about that anyway so the weekend that was dude i went to see all day over the weekend so good all day uh you know oh as i covered last week follows me on instagram I hope still, I haven't checked, but you know, it's like Schrodinger's cat. Is the cat dead or alive? Does all day follow me on Instagram or not? As long as I don't check, both are true. So no stress there, but went to see the great man. And this is like fourth time rescheduled. Like if he rescheduled again, you're, you're getting into territory where it's like, dude, I just need a refund. It's like, I was supposed to see you in August 2020 with my girlfriend. She broke up with me a year ago, mate, you know? <laughs> i got to find an extra ticket. Like, <laughs> like, that's like two girlfriends ago, you know what I mean? Like, so it's... <laughs> I didn't think about that. Imagine, like, these blokes. <laughs> Dude, there'd be people out there who was supposed to go to a concert with like their wife and then it got rescheduled so much that now they're divorced. (laughs) Oh my God. You're like, oh, you get an email. You're like all days on this weekend. Uh, I don't know if Janine will still want to go with me, to be honest. (laughs) Oh my God. That is hilarious. So anyway, yeah, so this is like fourth time rescheduled. So my friend Georgia came with me, but what I do sometimes, because none of the lads really like All Day apart from me, and none of the lads like a lot of the music I like, to be honest. <laughs> me and Macca, me and Macca, Testy Pop, we could not be more opposite when it comes to music. You know, this guy's Triple M, I'm Triple J, and there's a distinct line in the sand there. So, off, so if I want to see someone like All Day or 
someone usually not that expensive but um all day so sick but sometimes i'll just buy two tickets for a concert like three months from now and then i'll just take a date because it makes you ask someone out i think so and then it kind of yeah it forces you to ask someone out because you don't want to go to this concert by yourself that's fucking weird you know so that's what i do do sometimes and so my friend Georgia came with me and we went to the pub beforehand, right? And the gig was in Newtown, Mardi Gras weekend. So we're going into the belly of the beast, you know, fucking just revved up thinking they're probably still going because this goes under the radar, but no one, and I repeat, no one parties harder, parties harder and heartier than the gays. Okay. They just don't stop. They love, I tell you what. Gay blokes, they love glitter and they love doing gear and they just go absolutely nuts. And you got to keep in mind, you know, a lot of gay couples, they're like 29, dual income, no kids yet. I feel like gay guys don't just like work at Big W at 29. They're always doing something cool. So, you know, we got this dual income, no, no responsibilities. They just go absolutely nuts. They're loving it. So we're going into Newtown. I'm thinking, God, this, this thing's going to be still going. It felt like going into a, a bloody war zone. And so we were at the Newtown Hotel and I'm chatting to the bloke behind the bar and it's like rainbows everywhere, you know, like it's fully decked out in the Mardi Gras theme. And so I'm chatting to this bloke and he's like, hey, what have you been doing for Mardi Gras, mate? And, you know, I, I hate to admit, you know, more power to the cause, but I didn't really do anything for it. You know, I don't, I don't know what straight white women are doing out there. They've seemed to really uh, sort of jump on the bandwagon as per, but uh, straight, straight white blokes, we're yet to uh, dip our toe in the water of Mardi Gras, you know? I was under the impression it was for gay people, but I might have, you know, I'm not the most up-to-date person um, with some of the more, you know, p- some of the political issues of our time, so maybe I'm wrong. I was under the impression it was, in fact, targeted at gay people. So, again, my ignorance, uh, I apologise. But, so I'm chatting to this guy, and he's like, mate, what, he's talking all about Mardi Gras and I don't know anything about it but I know it was at the SCG so he's like yeah what'd you do for Mardi Gras I go not much mate what about you he goes I was working here it was crazy I go yeah right so I'm thinking fuck I'm in a bit of trouble here because uh, I think I'd ordered a cocktail or something I don't know why I was there for so long so I go well mate what, what do you think I'm surprised Newtown was so busy because obviously the main thing was at the SCG this year what do you think about that and that's my one Mardi Gras thing I know. So I'm like, this guy, you know, he's going to love this. And he goes, to be honest, mate, uh, I just moved to Sydney from the country two weeks ago. I don't know anything about the Mardi Gras at all. He goes, I just got this job. I had no idea it was like Mardi Gras in Newtown. I don't really actually know anything about Mardi Gras. Sorry. And I go, you piece of shit. I go, I don't know anything about Mardi Gras. I said, I was just talking about it because you were talking about it. And he goes, I was just talking about it because you were talking about it. So we've been chatting for about 10 minutes. We both thought the other one was gay, talking about Mardi Gras to appease this bloke. (laughs) He's doing the same to appease me. And I was like, dude, oh my God. (laughs) It was so funny. And then I just took the beers. I said, well, have a good one, mate. Hey. And he goes, you too, brother. You too. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever chatted to a bloke for 10 minutes and then at the end realized he thought you were gay the whole time. And then he realizes you think the same about him, but it was pretty fucking weird, dude. 
A lot less eye contact in the conversation after that. I'll tell you that for free. But, um, but yeah, and then we went to see All Day and George Alice opened and it was just so sick, dude. It was so sick. I got pretty much written off for a Sunday night and that's that. That's all you need to know. So great times, great classic hits and, and yeah, loved it. Loved it all. But anyway, let's just briefly talk about the Australia versus Pakistan test match. Uh, this test match. Okay. Okay. So I know I said I was a bit sad to do this episode because Shane Warne died, but now I'm pissed off, dude. I am so flat on the groundsman at this oval. The pitch was completely untenable. So flat, so unwatchable, so destructive to the game of test cricket which already needs all the help it can get. And we got this guy who sat on the roller. The last test match they played was in 1998 in Pakistan. It looks like they've been rolling this thing ever since. Okay, as soon as I turn on the television, I see the pitch. I already know. I go, this is going to suck. This is going to absolutely suck. But I thought, let me just give it an hour. You know, I want to watch cricket. I love it. So let me try. It was the lowest, slowest, flattest, most irrelevant pitch. And the Pakistan batsmen, the way they bat, I'm sorry, I don't enjoy it. Um, I don't know where to begin. The thing with the Pakistan batsmen is because the pitch is so flat, they just get away with zero footwork. They just block, 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 and then it's just length. When Nathan Lyon tosses it up or a ball is too full, then they just throw their hands through it and they're allowed to get away with it because the pitch is so flat. So then they bat for two days straight going at two and over. I didn't watch any of it. Okay. I turned off when Travis Head came on in the 17th over. Travis Head came on in the 17th over on day one of a test match. Okay. So that's what I turned off because I said, this is ridiculous. Nathan Lyon came on in the seventh. I got no problems. But firstly, Australia, if you're going to bowl Travis Head in the first session of day one, maybe play a real spinner, a real second spinner. Like, how hard is that? Cameron Green, we have a third fast bowler in the team. I think he bowled about two overs the whole game. Play him as the third fast bowler and play two spinners. I'm sorry, but how that wasn't completely obvious to every single person in the Australian touring party is beyond me, okay? But whatever. Ugh, I'm fucking furious. You know, they had snipers set up around the stadium and armed guards taking the players to and from the game. So these guys have literally risked their personal safety <laughs> to play in one of the worst games of cricket I've ever seen. Okay. I will say our top four looks unbelievable on paper when you go Kawaja, Warner, Lubbershane, Smith. They all got runs. They're all absolute guns. And, you know, Usman Khawaja, top score. Dude, I'm not surprised, okay? We all know what I think about Uzi. So there's no surprises there. But my God, I mean, <laughs> how... <laughs> Pakistan has been waiting 24 years for Australia to come. And what a waste of everyone's time. If they don't have the hose going right now on the second test pitch... 
dude, I might fly over myself with a freaking jerry can of water and just get to work, you know? Like, fuck me, what is the point of any of this? It was the worst test match I think I've seen in my lifetime. There were 14 wickets taken across five days. And Pakistan batted all day on the last day for none for 250. And that's the other thing. Not only did Pakistan prepare the worst pitch ever, they then proceeded to not even attempt to win the game at any point. So cheers, lads. Um, Let's hope freaking Al-Qaeda doesn't take a liking to the fucking boys' hotel room because I'd hate to see them go down for this. I mean, what the fuck? What a complete waste of time. These blokes are away from their families. I mean, whatever. Whatever, dude. (laughs) Fuck that. When people say cricket's boring, this is the sort of shit they're talking about. You know, the Ashes was so fun because every deck was doing heaps. And until people like cricket, cricket groundsmen, until professional cricket groundsmen around the world understand like how pitches work and the implications of how you prepare them. It's like, was there just, I don't understand how this happened. I just don't understand. I'd rather it just turn square from day one and just be completely fucked than what we saw. You know, I didn't watch any highlights. I don't need to. I saw Pakistan bat a little bit. I literally did not see Australia bat for a single ball. I don't need to. I didn't see any of the last three days. I don't need to. What a complete waste of time. Okay. That game sucked. I will defend cricket every single time, but that game was so unwatchable and so boring. And honestly, I tell you what, you know, I'm glad the people of Pakistan, you know, look like they were having a lot of fun in the stands and that sort of stuff. And I'm glad they get to watch test cricket again in their own country, you know, Um, good on them. And it seems like a cool atmosphere. Um, But they, you know, before a ball was bowled, that game was ruined and someone should be fired, you know. And also, you know, if you did that at the SCG, you'd be fired. But you know, some of uh, Pakistan's policies are a little more extreme. So I'm not sure what the policy is, um, whether it's sort of a town square job on this bloke or what. But, you know, we need to see some consequences uh, for ruining that that freaking test match because that was disgraceful. But anyway, let me crack into talking about the King Shane Warne because that's just pissed me off, okay? Let me talk about the greatest to ever do it. Okay, so... The passing of Shane Warne, where to begin? So firstly, God, like everyone, I woke up to the news on Saturday and thank you everyone for the messages. You would think I actually had met the bloke. (laughs) I I woke up to about, you know, freaking 30 Instagram messages and, you know, text messages from everyone. I was like, I didn't know what was going on because I woke up Saturday morning being like, this is great. I didn't go out Friday night. I was like revved up for a great Saturday. And then I was on my phone and I was like, wait, what the, what? I was just in, in complete shock. Complete shock. I wasn't even aware the great man was in Thailand, if, if I'm being honest. And I do follow his movements quite closely. So I'm getting all these messages going like, what the fuck? And then I was just kind of like sort of dazed for like a couple of hours being like, what's happening? And then I was just cleaning the apartment. I didn't want to turn on the television because then I was like, 
that'll make it real, you know? So then I was like, sort of just cleaning the apartment. And then I was like, all right, I better chuck on Fox Sports News. And then I was like, God damn it. It was the, he was gone, the whole thing. Oh, God. And then it was just, uh, it's just so sad. They're showing all these highlights and there's interviews and stuff. I was just thinking, God, I don't want to watch this. You know, I know all these highlights. I know everyone thinks he's the greatest ever. It was nice to hear a lot of stories about what a fantastic bloke he is, um, which I already personally thought that anyway. But I know a lot of people maybe didn't. So that was nice, but uh, it just seemed like kind of relentless punishment on Saturday. For me personally, I was like, God, I don't want to, I don't want to watch this stuff, but I kind of was like, I should just feel these feelings. Ugh, feelings are disgusting, dude. Feelings are gross. And then they did like a, a Shane Warne special on the day he died. And then, you know, Kerry O'Keefe starts crying at the start. Now I'm crying in the lounge room. And it was all just a bit much, okay? It was all just a bit much. I don't, I don't know how any of, like, the people that, Howie, Isha Gore, I don't know how any of them did that, that show without just bursting into tears. I mean, too much. Too much emotion for me. But I watched that as kind of like, I don't know, some sort of a emotional punishment i think it was good it was good to you know get the feelings out but anyway let's talk about the great man anyway no use talking about uh how sad it is what an absolute fucking legend this bloke was you know warney has just been my hero ever since ever since i could have the concept of a hero he's my first hero and the hero okay i bowled leg spin growing up all because of him i loved it all you know, like you would constantly hear during summer in my house, you would just hear like, Warney's bowling. Because like if me and my brother were in the backyard or whatever, but then you would, you would come, you couldn't miss it, you know? Because the chances are, if you did miss it, I'll be in in 10 minutes. The chances are if Warney's on, you've probably missed something fucking wild happening. So it was just, it was literally must watch television. In a world where everyone says test cricket is boring or cricket is this and cricket is that, this guy comes along and says, cricket is this and this alone, okay? It's entertainment. You know, the guy was an absolute rock star. Perfect example, amazing Adelaide in, in the, the 06, 07 Ashes. I remember turning on day five and we needed like, I think, we needed like six wickets and then we had to bat again. And it was like, this is impossible. But then, of course, Warney comes on straight away. And I remember, I remember just going like this is because he was 37 and everyone knew he was like about to retire. He was like 36, 37. And the guy comes on and bowls Kevin Peterson around his legs at 37 and then proceeds to bowl England out almost single-handedly. And it's like, dude, this is out of hand how good this guy is, you know? And it was just that sort of stuff where you go, what are even the rules for this guy? Because he seemed to just do things at a level that no one else could. This is prime Kevin Peterson. No one would do this shit to him, you know? And it was just... And he just loved it, you know? He'd always just be going nuts, love the celebrations. And the thing with uh, the thing with Warney that when I was watching the, the Fox Sports special on him, or whatever it was, you know, an in-memoriam doco type whatever, 
was I think when he retired, I think we like kind of almost started to slowly forget that this guy is without a doubt the greatest bowler of all time and it's not even close. You know, I know Morley has more test wickets. Dude, take that shit down the road, okay? Shane Warne is without a doubt the greatest bowler that has or probably ever will play the game of test cricket. And that's what I was really like reminded of when I was watching this stuff. I was like, dude, first guy to go past 700 test wickets, you know, just stats unbelievable, did it all over the world. The longevity of the man, you know? The other thing was how good he was and also how passionate he was about it. Because I think sometimes the guy was such a rock star, it almost overshadowed everything else. You know, the guy's friends with Michael Jordan and Ed Sheeran, Mick Jagger's tweeting about his death. He was married to Liz Hurley. Like, this isn't normal stuff that Australian cricketers do, <laughs> you know? Do you think Doug Bollinger is, is knocking boots with, like, UK actresses? This isn't normal, okay? So the guy was such a rock star. I think we did, you know, when he retired and he was, like, you know, just a personality... Not just a personality, but you know what I mean. I think we did start to forget, like, this guy is literally the GOAT. Like, and it's not even close. And he played for so long after he retired. He had so much passion for the game. He played county cricket for years in Hampshire. Then he, the first year of the IPL, he captain coached the Rajasthan Royals and they won the whole thing. The very first year of the IPL. And his team was like the worst in the comp and he captain coached them to a victory, to the whole comp. He also captained the Melbourne Stars when they first came out. And it's just it's just the entertainment value of the man. Even the Melbourne Stars, he must have been 40 when he was playing for them, 39. The Marlon Samuels incident, when freaking Marlon Samuels pushed one of Warney's teammates and Warney goes up to him and goes, you want to push people, Marlon? Fuck you, Marlon. He's still just giving it to him, sticking up for his mates. I fucking love that video, dude. It's awesome. Fuck you, Marlon. Oh, there's nothing better than that. And I remember I remember, I remember, there was this DVD I had. I think it was called The King of Spin. I had it when I was growing up. And it was like a documentary on his career, but it only went up to about 2004. And I remember this quote on the DVD. He said... You know, the people have all come in and paid their money to watch Test Cricket. He said, I don't want to see medium paces with Barry Boring fields, you know, one slip and a ring field and, you know, dotting them away and negative cricket. He said, I'm here to entertain the people. They've paid their money. You know, we need a, a play and a, an attacking brand of cricket that people like to see, you know, and that was the best thing about him. He was, he was the best captain Australia never had. I mean, the guy's cricket brain was just insane. And it was all about attacking the game and putting on a show and winning from anywhere. And that's why the guy was so cool. He was just not afraid to do anything. You know, the guy appeared to just not fear anything. And it was just awesome. And he would come on in any situation and just create something. You know, and he was, <laughs> he used to come out every summer before whatever the touring team and he'd he'd make up a new ball that he'd never had he'd be like oh south africa's here watch out for the zooter been working on this thing all winter oh this you've never seen anything like it and it never existed 
Meanwhile, you got the South African guys going, what the fuck is a Zuta worrying about what's coming out of his hand? And you should fucking worry about what's coming out of there, okay? Because it might not be a Zuta, but there's all sorts of shit, you know what I mean? And just that stuff is so funny, man. And like the video of like, <laughs> just all that sort of stuff. Like all, he was so giving, I think, in a weird way. When you think of all the best Shane Warne moments, and just him as a person, he was so giving to the public with like the way he carried on and all this sort of stuff. He was an entertainer at heart. And that's why I loved him so much. And, you know, he had to go under, he had a lot of adversity in his career. And like he had a full-blown shoulder reconstruction on his bowling arm and he had his spinning finger. He had a huge surgery on that. So he had to come back from both of those injuries. And I, I remember on that DVD I was talking about, he, he was bowling with his coach and he was trying to get back to it after his finger surgery. And the coach said, that ball, that was it. You're back. That was the one. And Warney said, if that was so good, why didn't it feel good? And they realized he had a different feeling in his finger from the surgery. So he had to bowl for fucking weeks to, to work out the new feel and how it all, and how it all worked in his finger, you know? And then he had the thing with the diuretic where he, you know, took the diuretic pill from his mum and got banned for a year. That was wild. And that's another, you know, people say he blamed his mum. Like, he didn't blame her. He just trusted her, you know. There's, I think there's a difference there. And, and also, it was just a drug to lose weight, you know. People are like, oh, warn it. I remember the drug cheat stories at the time. It's like, Shane Warne is notorious for just eating pizzas and hating fitness. You think this guy's going to start taking steroids? You know, <laughs> you're out of your fucking mind, dude. But all those things, it's so interesting, like, just the amount of spotlight he had to live with and all that stuff, you know, and then it was just incident after incident and he had to answer for so much stuff that he really shouldn't have had to. You know, there was the thing where he got caught like having a threesome with those girls or whatever and he had the Playboy undies on. People were like, oh, Warney's up to his old tricks. It's like, no one, did no one stop to ask why there was a camera filming him without his knowledge? <laughs> How fucked is that? You know? And like the, the paparazzi in England and in Australia chasing him down the street and shit. <laughs> like the guy had to handle so much and he never... He was never bitter about it, never took a chip on his shoulder, you know. What a legend. There was the incident where, <laughs> this one's great. There was the incident where he was getting paid like uh, heaps of money by like Nicorette or someone to quit smoking. They were like going to sponsor him to quit smoking using their patches. And then, and then he got caught in the Caribbean. Someone photographed him smoking a cigarette. So that was a huge thing. And it's like... <laughs> All these incidents, I look at Warney and I just think he was, he was so obviously not a bad guy. He's just human. <laughs> like, you got this knockabout bogan bloke. He came on the scene with a big old blonde mullet, loves knocking over sausage rolls and local women. And now you're going you're gonna to have people follow him around with a camera every minute of his life for the next 25 years. It's like, yeah, dude, some of this stuff might not be PG rated. 
You know, maybe you should stop invading the man's privacy 24 fucking 7, you know? But I don't know. I was always such a fan. I I never was bothered by any of that stuff. And I think as well, you know, the Australian public, there there's people that didn't like him. Most people loved him to death. And I think Warney could have easily been like, fuck you guys. And just sort of fucked the whole thing. Because, like, it was a bit much, really. No one really deserved to be treated the way Warney was treated at times. But he still... he It never bothered him. And I think that's why it never bothered us. You know? He was still... He still loved the Australian public so much. And I think that's why we loved him. You know? I think Warney... The best thing about him was that he was just able to just look, you know society or whatever australia i guess the world just look them in the eye and say like this is me this is what i'm doing i'm not hurting anyone you know i like playing cricket this is what i like to do this is who i am and it's sort of like you know it's it's up to you whether you like it or not but but i like you guys so i hope i'm gonna do my best to fucking show you guys a good time on the cricket field and entertain you and I hope you fucking love it. And I don't think he stressed too much about what we thought. And I think that was the best part about him. You know, he didn't need to be liked. Authenticity is a drug, really. And it takes... You've got to be brave to pull it off. You know? I love every single incident Warney came out. He never once came out and said, that wasn't me. Or I didn't do that. You know? He would apologize. Or say, geez, I'm sheepish. Or whatever but he never said that, that that's not Shane Warne in that video or you know oh you know oh, oh hang on what about the, here's my excuse you know and people say with the diuretic thing he served his time he, he he fronted up to the press conference he served his time and then he came back you know he never ever said oh no sorry this uh, here's an excuse or whatever he never did that and i think that's why we liked him so much and yeah, I was thinking about him a lot, obviously, on the day and the days past. And the number one thing I think I got from him was just do your own thing. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. You know, just because everyone's going right doesn't mean you can't go left. Before Shane Warne came along, no one even bowled leg spin. He revitalized that art form. No one was doing that. It, was, it wasn't cool. Leg, it was too hard. You know, it was too... It, it was, it was too hard to bowl leg spin at an elite level, you know? It used to be a leg spinner comes on, you're thinking, you beauty, which stand am I hitting this bloke into? And then Warney comes along and you're thinking, fuck, how am I even going to get out of this over? He redefined the art. And I just think just all of what he did is so unique to him. I think that's the one thing everyone was saying is there never will be anyone like him again. And really, when you think about it, there'll never be anyone like me or you ever again. But I think I think we care a lot more what other people think and if they like us. And then now you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I shouldn't do that. What's everyone else doing? You know, it takes balls to be unashamedly yourself. And, and it takes balls to do that in your everyday life with no one following you around. But to interact with the world with zero filter and just authentically 
present yourself to the world and say, you know, this is this is exactly what I think or what I'm doing when the whole world is looking, dude, that is fucking, <laughs> that's pretty courageous, I think. So, yeah, sad to see the great man go. He just truly didn't give a fuck. And I think that's, <laughs> I think he's maybe the coolest guy to ever live. I don't think he was too worried what anyone thought about him. I think he knew it was never his call to make, you know? Maybe now it's mine, I guess, in this moment. But God, Warney, thank you so much, mate. I loved you so much. All the memories, all the good times, all the summers. And we're going to miss you so much, mate. We're going to miss you, you absolute legend. But thanks for everything you gave us and more. And uh, I think I just hope he knows how much we loved him. Because there were times when maybe it wasn't abundantly clear to him but i hope before he died he knew because we do